Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to the deciding point, our Crack Rackets weekly rundown of all the storylines going on throughout the tennis world. Joining me, as always, to talk a little bit about the kickoff of the Australian summer down under. You know him as our Crack Rackets do everything. Forefather of the forehand slice, it's James Foster McDonald. Jamie, feels like this is the week the 2021 season finally gets underway. I know I'm excited. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Look, we've been saying we're back and tennis is back for a while, but uh, it was a little misleading. Now we're really back. This is it right here. So, um, you know, we're, we're leading into the final turn coming up to the Aussie Open, uh, the ATP Cup starting up. It's just, it's a ton of fun. So a good time to be a tennis fan for sure. Three ATP events, three WTA events, college tennis, Division One women's national indoors this weekend. Yes, it is absolutely a fun time to be a tennis fan. And of course, here at Crack Rackets, we want to keep all of you up to date on everything going on. So without further ado, Westoff, roll those credits and let's start the show. All right, Jamie, let's start today's show in the college tennis world. And of course, our Crack Rackets team is so excited to be headed to Stillwater this weekend to cover the women's national indoors in person. We'll be on the call with the broadcast all weekend long. But before we even get to that action, we had a really fun weekend of college tennis play. Some fun news both on and off of the court delivered to all of us fans. The off-court news, Baylor and Texas A&M going to be playing this upcoming weekend to decide who gets that eighth and final spot in the men's national indoors. Of course, speaking of Baylor, we saw them in two of our matches of the weekend. They go to Austin, they knock off Texas, but then they're upset at home indoors against TCU. Maybe a nice sneak preview of what we will see in Champaign. Jamie, your reaction to all of the college tennis news from a really fun weekend of play. Yeah, well, look, I mean, first of all, the, the first thing you mentioned, look, let's be honest, it's good that Baylor and A&M are playing. Um, you know, I, I understand uh, sort of both stances around this one, but it's, it's simply good for the sport that these two teams are going to go head to head. So uh, I'm glad that that's the case. And I think it's going to be, uh, I don't know, I think it's going to be a fun one. Now, in terms of the second piece you mentioning, I mean, yeah, that hurts to come up with a huge win like that and then, you know, go down at home to TCU. But Look, back-to-back matches, that is so tough, especially when you're coming up a hard, grinding match the day before. I mean, look, you're going to be a little bit weaker. That other team is absolutely looking for it, and that's motivating them to go after it. It's tough, but look, it's part of college tennis, and it is what it is. Yeah, I had the chance to speak with Coach Michael Woodson. He says, look, I wouldn't put my team in this position if I didn't think it wouldn't help us prepare for May. Eventually, you're going to have to win back-to-back matches if you want to be an NCAA champion, and they didn't do it this weekend but it was a great learning experience. The Bears played phenomenal. I think there were five three-set singles matches in that TCU-Baylor battle. So, of course, they're Big 12 foes. They're going to see each other multiple times throughout the course of the season. To your first point, you nailed it. The point of college tennis is to play college tennis, 
not to advance by rules or certain, you know, uh, qualifications, whatever it may be. So very happy they found a way to play that match. Shout out to Grant Chen and SMU for being a willing third-party neutral host site for that match in Dallas as well. So really excited to see that underway. Also, should mention on the women's side, I praise the UNC women. I think they could be one of the best teams of all time. They almost lost this weekend at Georgia. That was an incredible match, and it just reminds all of us, and we saw Wake Forest a Wake Forest push to 4-3 against South Carolina. We saw the UNC men pushed against Virginia Tech. Given how many talented players there are because of that extra year of eligibility, the name of the game in college tennis this season is parody, Jamie, and I think it is going to be a really fun thing for all of us college tennis fans because legitimately, in any given dual match, it's going to come down to who plays better on that given day, and that's an exciting thing for all of us tennis fans to enjoy this season. Okay, Jamie, before we talk about this week's action down under, want to recap quickly some of the results we saw unfold on the Challenger Tour last week. We saw two guys re-enter the winner's circle once again. Sebastian Corda cracking the top 100 of the ATP rankings with his victory in Quimper. Of course, it was Halmi Munar earning the title in Antalya on the clay. Both of these players now inside the top 100, well-positioned to do damage during this 2021 season. Your thoughts, Jamie on their victories last week. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with Corda first because, I mean, there's no other way to say it. This dude has been on a tear. Um, he's just finding ways to win. I mean, we, we saw what he did in Delray Beach against some really high caliber players, and then he goes and takes this title, winning one and one in the finals. I mean, this guy has got to have so much confidence, you know, in 2021 without, you know, crazy high expectations. Yeah, he cracked the top 100, but he's still not under a ton of pressure. He's so young, and he's just playing great tennis. So I'm incredibly excited to see what Sebastian Corda can do in these next few months. Already up to number 88 in the world, a ton of opportunities for him to gain points this season. Of course, you look at his last three results, Jamie, challenger title, final in Delray Beach, now another challenger title here this past week. Yeah, 24-5 and since the restart began in August. He's 29-9 overall in his last 52 weeks. The guy's a stud, and it's just, it passes the eye test with flying colors. The power he can produce on the baseline so easy. We saw him have success on a clay court, making the fourth round of the French Open. So, you know, with his last name, Corda, his sister's probably more accomplished athletes than him, which is crazy to say. There are always going to be expectations, uh, but he's living up to those expectations. So, yeah, I agree with you. Sebastian Corda has been incredible. And then you look for Halmi Munar, Jamie. Since, I believe, the start of the 2018 season, you look at his success at the challenger level on clay. I'm pretty sure he's won five challenger titles and made seven challenger finals. He's, excuse me, not top 100 but number 103 right now with a couple of wins this week. He will crack that top 100. What do you think the ceiling for Munar is? Top 50? Top 30? Clearly, he's got the goods on clay. Yeah, look, I think he can absolutely push higher than top 50, maybe into that top 30 range. I mean, especially, I think it's honestly going to come down to scheduling and what events he plays. You know, in normal seasons, he could easily, well, not easily, but he could do what Christian Guerin did um, and just have a tear on the clay court season a couple of times, maybe get his ranking all the way up there. Now, does that mean that his ranking is, I don't know, the most indicative of his play on hard courts or anything else? Maybe not, but and you saw Christian Guerin get criticized for that by, um, you know, fellow players and a lot of different people in tennis in general but 
look, I think ranking-wise, he can absolutely get to top 30. It's really just translating from, okay, you're winning challengers routinely. Let's step this up a notch. My concern, and he's still so young, but he's 52 and 16 in challenger level matches since the start of that 2018 season, 22 and 22 overall in ATP level matches on the clay. And again, small sample size still, and I think we all agree he's got the goods to, at a minimum, third round pencil him in every year at the French Open throughout the prime of his career. He moves that well on the dirt, is that physically gifted, but it's a weapons question. How does Jaume Munar make things easy for himself on non-clay court? And even then, when he's playing against the top pros in the world, do I think he's consistent enough to be top 50? Absolutely. Do I think he has the weapons required in the modern game to be a top 30 player? I don't know. He may flirt with a ranking inside the top 30, but I don't think he's a sustained presence there. He's going to have some really good seasons, but uh, certainly for Munar, again, hopefully he is able to become a top 30 guy because talk about a guy as high of a floor match in, match out as any player on tour. Yeah, 100%. To me, though, I mean, yeah, absolutely correct on the weaponry for him. I think the bigger question, honestly, is just, is he going to be able to stack up enough points during the clay swing to hold him at a high ranking? And, you know, during his best seasons, I think he probably will. So that's why his ranking will be high. But perhaps, and one could say it could be a little inflated solely because of how good he is on the clay. All right, Jamie, well, let's drift away from the clay and talk about some of the action we're going to see on the hard courts down under. Again, three WTA events this week. We're not going to get into the nomenclature. It's too tricky. Just know they're all WTA 500-level events, and pretty much every player scheduled to play the Australian Open is looking to play and is signed up to play one of the warm-up events this week. Jamie, it'd be too difficult to go through each and every draw. We could talk about each and every player for six hours, and we'll do that on our podcast over the course of the week but in general give me the things you are looking for here this week on the wta tour prior to the australian open yeah look it's so tough to narrow down just because of how weird 2020 was but you know i think one category is people who you know are they going to continue the momentum from last year so people like sabalenka um, we expect them to just from what we've already seen i think that's great someone you know at the same tournament as her in the same draw uh Iga Shviantek, um look we saw that phenomenal run at roland garros but okay since then what are we building off of was that a streaky sort of thing was that a fluke or are we going to see more of that so that's that's question number one for me is like some of these key players of 2020 sure it was an atypical season but are they going to capitalize on the momentum and make themselves sort of a household name moving forward in this year that's that's a big one for me the flip side of that, of course, is all the names we didn't really get to see play mm-hmm. that much in 2020. I think I saw a stat on tennis where I apologize for not citing who it came from. I think there are five players who entered this women's singles draw at the Australian Open having not or having won their last match at a Grand Slam event. And then, of course, you know, I'm talking about a player like Bianca Andreescu, who we get mm-hmm. back into the fold. Fascinated to see how she looks after so much time away from the game. Of course, we saw Halep on clay, and she looked really good there, but we didn't see her on hard courts after Australia. She is always a threat to win a Grand Slam title. But then the the name to me that jumps out the most, maybe the player most equipped to have success regardless of surface in this 2020 decade, Ashley Barty. 
who, by the way, semifinalist last year in Australia, won the French Open in 2019, number one player in the world, maybe the quietest number one Aussie heading into an Australian Open ever. At least it feels like that, given all the distractions. So anyone who we didn't see play in 2021, Belinda Bencic, we didn't see much of you could throw her on that list as well. I am fascinated, Jamie, to see what they look like here this week. All right, Jamie, let's switch gears, talk about the men now. Three ATP events, two of them 250s, the other the ATP Cup. We'll talk about that for our deciding point. But you look at these 250 draws. Who are you going to be watching most closely? What are you looking out for? Man, I think my first category has got to be the veterans, the people who have who have just somehow been around for seemingly like 30 years and yet are still showing up. And to me, it, this is a big year for like, okay, are these people like done or are they still going to stick around? So I think I'm kind of getting my question answered with, you know, what I saw from Chilich and losing to Shardy. I'm like, okay. Uh, but, you know, you've got other people coming in like Query. It's like, okay, you've been a staple American for a long time now. Where are you going to come in? How are you going to bounce back? Is all of this time off at the end of 20? 20 going to really be beneficial for someone of your age. Kevin Anderson playing down there as well, a veteran of the tour. So that's really who I'm looking to see. It's like, look, we talk about the next gen and the young guys all the time, and and they're absolutely exciting because that's the future of the game. But I'm still interested in those veterans, the guys who have been sticking around and are still playing. Are they going to be able to make deep runs in these draws? Well, it's hilarious to me to see guys like Hubi Hercots, Yannick Sinner with a three and four seeds next to their names in these 250 events, especially considering how many top players are playing the events. I think, you know, just so our listeners know, every so often Jamie and I choose not to share notes beforehand just to try and create a more organic conversation, you know, and you beat me to it. For there to be a changing of the guards, the old reign has to let go a little bit. And, you know, Chilich didn't look great in his opening loss to Jeremy Shardy, although I guess someone had to win that match but you know guys like Gasquet and Simone and you know I, Dimitrov and Gofan are still a little bit younger so they're not quite there but Amir and Chilich they all you know they're still very good players yet these young guys they just seem so hungry the way Ugo Umber ripped through the end of the 2020 season it feels like there are going to be more Ugo Umber type weeks than there will be standout performances from a Stan or a Chilich at this point and I'm fascinated to see how that plays out because I agree with you the young guys are ready but the old guys aren't exactly going to hand it to him. All right, Jamie, for this week's deciding point, we're going to talk a little bit about the ATP Cup. Of course, whenever there's a professional team event, it catches our attention here at Cracked Rackets and last year's ATP Cup, delivering some outstanding tennis. We got to see battles between Demonauer and Shapovalov, Medvedev and Djokovic, Djokovic and Nadal. We're hoping this year delivers us the similar goods as well. Give me the things you are watching for, what you are most excited about. I know ATP Cup straight up Jamie McDonald's alley. Yeah, and listen, uh, I I can always find a way to complain about something, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I love everything about the format, but at the end of the day, you know, you've got this, you know, pool play and team style. I'm going to love it. I'm all over it. And so these players are playing for their country. That means a ton for them. Um, The the way the groups fell this this year, very interesting. You know, Group D is like Russia, Argentina, and Japan. I can't say that's, you know, what I'm most excited to watch but like (laughs) serbia germany canada all in the same group spain greece australia all in the same group 
um, you know, those are the things that really excite me. And so starting right off the bat, we've got a fun one, right? In, in Australia, or excuse me, down in Australia, but uh, Canada going up against Serbia. I'm extremely excited to see this tonight. Djokovic has to take on Shapovalov. Um, you see Raonic going to be taking on the Deuce. Um, these are the sort of matchups that we live for. And these guys playing with one another, um, amping each other up on the sidelines. It's just an environment. It reminds you why the team format is so much fun. It reminds you why people love things like Laver Cup. It brings so much excitement to the game. Uh, and so I'm just incredibly pumped to have this back. Yeah, and guess what? Best of all, we're going to have fans in Australia to add to that environment as well. That's what happens when you take care of business, when you have a pandemic amongst your uh, population. Anyways, that's a story for another time. Yeah, I I agree with you. The funniest thing is, like, I really like Team Austria, and I, I just really, for some reason, think Dennis Novak is going to be the breakout star of this event. I think he's a guy who always plays to the level of his competition, and so I'm really excited for some reason to see how he performs in that two single spot for Austria but of course I mean Russia is a team of Rublev and Medvedev on paper look out I mean Canada yeah you mentioned it Rayonich Shapovalov if you're Italy you know it would have been so disrespectful the proverbial middle finger to be like look we like you Fonini Yannick Sinner is better than you and we kind of all know it so we're just going to play him sorry Uh, but obviously they can't do that but no it's fantastic tennis and it's just it, it feels like this is a festive start to what should be a celebration, really, of the return of professional tennis in 2021. And yeah, we got Abu Dhabi. Yeah, we got Delray Beach. But as we mentioned at the top, this is where the action really begins. So I agree with you. It should be a really exciting uh, week of play uh, down under both the men, the women, and of course, ATP Cup. And we'll be covering all of it here at Cracked Rackets week in, week out, day in, day out. Of course, if you've missed any of the action, go check out our podcast like rate, subscribe, review, and if you have missed any of our content, be sure to head to our website, crackrackets.com. Jamie, any final thoughts before we wrap this week's show? Hope there's some drama in the ATP Cup so we can follow up in it uh, about the Aussie Open. That's all I can hope for now. Absolutely. Well, with that in mind, then for my wonderful co-host, Jamie McDonald, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at Cracked Rackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been watching another edition of The Deciding Point. We'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.